Welcome to Revitalize and Restart, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of church revitalization, restart, and renewal. We invite you to listen as a host and some of the best practitioners in the field of church revitalization and restart discuss issues facing the church in America. And now, here is your host, Dr. Steve Sells, author, conference speaker, and president of Operation Transformation. Well, welcome to another installment of Revitalize and Restart, a podcast brought to you by Operation Transformation Church Revitalization Group in Salisbury, North Carolina. I'm Dr. Steve Sales, your host, and it's a pleasure to have with us today uh, Mark Weibel. Uh, we really appreciate Mark uh, for all the work that he's doing in the area of uh, of uh, church revitalization and, and plants. And But I really do appreciate him uh, for the little book that he has written that talks about uh, uh, using the Internet and, and all of the things that we need to use to uh, get the message out when we can't basically sometimes get into churches. Mark serves as the director of church planning for the Greater Orlando Baptist Association. He's also the co-founder and strategic director of the Renovate National Church Revitalization uh, Conference, and he's the directional leader for reproducing churches. He is an experienced search engine optimizer, uh, Google Ads, uh, Google Ads professional. He's assistant editor, web traffic manager, and regular contributing writer to the Church Revitalized Magazine, which I got to meet uh, uh, Mark through, and, and of course, Tom Janey. Mark is a trainer and a conference speaker on the subjects of church planting, church revitalization, leadership development, search engine optimization, and online marketing. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. It's an honor to have you with us today. Thank you, Steve. It's so good to be with you. Today, we're going to be discussing uh, your book, and it's not been out very long. Tide Lovett is Fishing uh, on the Other Side, a guide to, uh, to uh, being the church in a digital age. And my goodness, w- with us just having come through COVID, that's been a very vital uh, and valuable resource because uh, uh, not being able to get in churches, even churches that couldn't... Uh, could not uh, meet together personally, uh, being able to uh, to do some streaming and that kind of thing. Well, looking through your book and talking with you, one of the big things that I see here is this thing of search engine optimization. Now, you're talking to a guy, Mark, you got to remember that doesn't know much about what we're talking about. Okay, so I'm listening to you. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about how does the church benefit from uh, search engine optimization and, uh, you know, what is it? Tell us about that, okay? Well, Steve, first of all, I'm going to have to disagree with you. You know a whole lot more about it than you realize. <laughs> let me ask you this question. Do you ever search for anything on Google? Oh, yeah, yeah. Then you know a lot about it because uh, Google is the number one place that people go to get information. They trust the results they get from Google more than they do recommendations from family and friends. So in the digital world, when we talk about uh, uh, where the people are, they're on Google. You know, so in the book, I talk about um, when Jesus called the first disciples. He said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. 
they didn't fully know what he meant by that. But one thing they knew for sure was it didn't involve boats and nets because they left those things behind and they went to follow Jesus. But if you're going to go out fishing, Steve, I mean, the, the most important thing that you need to do when you go fishing is you need to go where the fish are. Isn't that right? That's right. You know, in my book, I talk about how my father taught me how to uh, uh, use a spin casting reel when I was a little boy. Um, you know, when you're bumping up from a Zebco 101 to a spin casting reel, it's it's a different story because that line can get tangled real easily mm-hmm. and it's harder to cast. And so we practice casting in the backyard, uh, but we never caught any fish in the backyard because there wasn't any water there. And, yeah. and so we, you know, in order to catch fish, you got to go where the fish are. And so um, today, that's where the people are. They're on the Internet. They're going to Google to search for stuff that's important to them, things to buy. They're looking for advice. They're asking questions, you know, all kinds of things like that. And so as Christians, that's where we want to be. So, you know, search engine optimization is just simply a fancy word for getting found on Google. And if you're the pastor of a church, you're involved in outreach, um, one of the easiest ways to connect with people is to make sure that your church can be found when somebody does a Google search. And that's really what it's all about. Oh, okay. Okay. Good enough. So you know a whole uh, lot about it, right? <laughs> well, I, uh, that, that uh, I didn't realize I knew much about it, but I guess uh, you, you cleared that up for me. Um, when you talk about search engine optimization, are you talking about being able to find it quicker and easier or um, just being able to find it? Sure. So you, um, you want people to be able to find your church website, um, you know, quick and easy, but near the top of the search results, preferably at the very top. And uh, so when I, when I talk about optimizing your church website, first of all, it's important to know who am I optimizing it for? What is our website there to do? Uh, And who is it supposed to reach? So, the first thing is we have to ask ourselves, what is the purpose of our church website? If the purpose of the website is to get people to come to church, that's something I hear a whole lot, or it's to inform our church members, or it's to do online evangelism. There's all kinds of different purposes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so the best way to look at it is if your church website were an employee, what would his or her job description be? How mm-hmm. would you know if your website is doing its job what would be the evaluation criteria? If, if your website were a human being, were an employee, and you're going to do an annual uh, job performance review, what criteria would you use to conduct that review? How would you know whether or not to, um, to reprimand him or give him a raise? So, mm-hmm. um, so the, the first thing is, is let's look at, at what our website is supposed to do. And I propose that most church websites are designed to reach uh, four different groups of people. In marketing, they call it personas. So the first group is the people that you already have, the people that are already attending your church. Are they going to use your website? So there should be some things on the website that are important to them, like upcoming events and maybe listen to past sermons and things like that. Another group is a group of people that are looking for your church. Maybe a member or regular tender of your church has invited a friend, a family member, or a neighbor. Um, According to Tom Rainer, 99% of those people that are invited uh, are going to go to your church website first and look at it before they even attend. Mm -hmm. And so they may not remember that your church website URL is firstbaptistchurchofourtown.org or 
fbcot.org, you know, they might not remember the URL. So they're going to go to Google and do a search for it. And so one of the first ways to see if your website's working for you well is to search for your own church by name. And you should be in that number one spot for the name of your own church. Uh, If people know the name of your church and they're looking for it, but they don't know the URL, they should be able to find it on Google. It should be the number one search result. And if it's not, then you've got some some work to do. Now, there's a third group of people that are that are uh, might find you on uh, Google, and that is people that are looking for a church, but they've never heard of your church. So they might do a Google search for something like church near me or church near the mall, uh, church across from the movie theater or, you know, different uh, things like that that um, mm-hmm. indicate a specific location. They may not necessarily look for, you know, search for like churches in you know, Asheville, North Carolina. They, they may not do that kind of search because that's going to be too broad. Yeah. Um, they want to find something closer to where they live. They might use their zip code or the name of a certain street. So, so what you've got to do is kind of get into their head and say, if I were somebody in the community and I were looking for a church, what kind of search terms would I use to try to find a church? And then you want to see, does your church show up for those search terms? And if it doesn't, then you need to work on that. The fourth group of people is a group of people that's looking for something, but they're not looking for a church. Uh, for example, um, here in Orlando, there was a church that had a archery club for boys. Hmm. And if you did a search for archery club in Orlando, Florida, archery clubs, they came up number one. Now, they oh. never meant to do that. Uh, they just had an archery club and their website talked about it. And, uh, and they came up number one. So they, you know, the, the people doing that search, they want to shoot bows and arrows. You know, they don't want to, they're not looking for a, a church. But if your church happens to have an archery club or a, a, a grief share group or a uh, financial peace university class or something like that, that's going to uh, connect you with the, with the community at large. And you can build a relationship with somebody who, you know, they just want to come and shoot some arrows and uh, but they get to know you and they, hey, these are nice people. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll go to church there on Sunday or maybe a crisis occurs in their life and they don't know who to reach out to. Yeah. And the only church they know about is the one where they go and shoot arrows on Saturday. Yeah. So that that fourth group of people they are looking for something that you might have or might not have. But if your website is optimized correctly, you'll show up for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are at least the four different personas. And. And so you should evaluate your website and look at it as, is it helping us to connect with the people that we already have? Are our current members and uh, regular attenders going to our church website? And what I found with most church websites, that's the least likely group of people that's going to use the website, the people that you already have. And the reason why they're not going to use it is they've already been there. uh, And then they went back. And when they went back, the information was still the same. Nothing changed. Yeah. And then they went back a third time and nothing's changed. And so they've written off your website as a static, uh, I mean, as a, uh, yeah, as a, as a static uh, document that never changes. Yeah. And so they ne- need to never go back. But if your website has current updated information, you can actually help to build community uh, with your church family. Now, we saw this in 2020. A lot of churches, they couldn't have small groups for a while. They couldn't gather uh, together. And they were still trying to maintain that community, and they found a new use of their their website for doing that, or maybe through social media and other other sources. So 
that second uh, group of people, the ones that are invited, it's very important that they find you easily, that they easily find you. And then when they get to your website, the things that they're looking for need to be there. Uh, number one, what is your location? Um, when I go to a lot of church websites, that's, the, that's one of the hardest pieces of information to find. Where are you located? Because the guy who built the website is a member of the church, and he knows where they're located. Um, and so it makes sense to him that that's not information that needs to be prominent on the website. But if you're looking at it from the perspective of somebody who's never been to your church, they need to know where are you located? What time does the service start? Uh, what about kids? What do you do for kids? Um, how should I dress? Um, what should I be prepared for? What is the music style? What is the sermon going to be like? And if they can watch some of your previous services, that kind of gives gives them an idea. And then that third group of people, they're they're looking for a church in a specific geographic area. So you want to try to figure out what they're searching for and see how your search website uh, does for them. So um, that's kind of what's involved in search. You know, that's kind of the other side of search engine optimization. Now, how you get there is you have to realize that a search engine like Google um, is is a um, it's a inhuman um, mathematical formula called an algorithm that runs a computer program called a robot and it goes to your website and it reads uh, all of the uh, readable content on your website, mostly just text. And it reads the text on your website and then it categorizes that text and it puts it in an index like you Uh would see in the back of a book. Um, But instead of the index being alphabetical, uh, and just for that book, it throws it in with everything else that it's indexed. And then when somebody does a search query, like they go to Google and they type in, you know, search for churches near me, um, then Google's going to try to figure out in a split second which websites deserve to be ranked to the highest uh, oh, based yeah. upon the relevance to what that person is searching for. So it's all about relevance. And then and now Google is also ranking your website based upon um, page quality. Is your website well built? Is it secure? Is it HTTPS? Um, is it uh, does it load fast? Does it work well on mobile devices? And all of those things go into what are called ranking factors. And Google has over two hundred ranking factors. And so, search engine optimization is all about trying to understand those ranking factors, try to understand what people are searching for, and then try to figure out how to fix our website so it, it accomplishes its job. That is bringing people to church keeping our current church members informed, uh, answering questions that people might have, making them feel comfortable and welcome and those kinds of things. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's really good. I appreciate you sharing that. Now, also in your book, and then we talked a little bit about this, um, what what do uh, Google ads have to do, if anything, with, your, with optimization? And I, and, and I notice you talk about Google ad grants. Explain that for us, if you would. Yeah. So, you know, when you do a Google search, the top three or four results are typically uh, paid ads. So, and you'll know they're paid, they're, you know, they're ads because on, the, on just on the left side, there's a little tiny box that says ad. They don't look a whole lot different than the other results. So even if your church was number one in what we would call the organic results, there may be some other results that are higher than your church because those are ads. And I say they're paid ads, uh, but not all of them have to be paid because Google has a grant that churches can apply for, and it's worth $10,000 a month in online advertising and Google ads. And now wow. that's 
$10,000 a month, most churches would have a very hard time spending all of that. Because first of all, if you were to buy an ad on Google, you would pay maybe 25 cents or 50 cents a click, but you only pay when somebody clicks on the ad. You don't pay when the ad shows up. You know, so that's called an impression when the ad shows up. If you were to buy an ad in the newspaper, you pay for every every uh, newspaper, whether anybody reads the paper or not, whether they get to the page that your ad is on or not, whether they see your ad or not. You pay for that impression. But on Google ads, you only pay for the clicks. So, so and it's not it's not very much. It depends on the the keywords that people are trying to uh, to, to trigger their ads. So. A church may, it may only be 10, 15, 20 cents a click, but they're going to give you $10,000 worth of clicks every month. So if I'm telling you that, uh, what, what if um, your local television station came to you and said, Steve, I'm going to give you $120,000 a year in free advertising on our TV station. Would you take it? Oh, my, yeah. Yeah. Well, people use Google more than they use your local TV station. So Google, the number one place that people go to get information, the most trusted source of information, they're wanting to give you that $10,000 a month grant. And, um, and it's, you just simply go to google.com slash grants to apply for it. And you follow the instructions and most churches that apply for it, get it. Oh, really? Is it, is it difficult to, uh, uh, to, to apply for them? It's a, it's a, it involves a couple of steps. One is you have to be approved for Google uh, for nonprofits. That's almost always approved, especially if your church is a, is a 501c3 organization. Yeah. Um, now, if it's not, uh, if your church is not a 501c3, I recommend going ahead and going through the process to become a 501c3. But you can also request a, late, a letter from your association or state convention or your denomination. It needs to be a recent letter. It needs to be at least uh, less than six months old that you mm-hmm. can submit uh, to apply for that nonprofit status. And once you get approved for nonprofit status, you have a whole slew of Google tools that you have available to you at little or no cost. Then, then once you get notification that you've been approved for that, then you take the next step to apply for the Google Ad Grants. It's not difficult, but you may not get approved the first one or two times around. They may come back and say, we don't really see enough information on your website about your community impact. They want to know what is your church doing that's good for the community. And they don't necessarily perceive that uh, religious education is good for the community. So you need to show them what impact that you're having on the community, but it's really not that difficult. It's definitely worth the time. It's it's worth the hoops to jump through. Is it, is it, uh, is it available not only for churches, but other Christian nonprofits? Yes, uh, just about any 501c3 organization can apply for it. There are some exceptions. Um, medical institutions that are nonprofit and schools are not allowed to uh, apply for it. Mm-hmm. But m- if your Christian school has a separate nonprofit, uh, such as a foundation or something that raises money for the school, that foundation can apply for it. Oh, okay. uh, so if, you're, if you have a Christian school and it doesn't have a separate uh, nonprofit, I would recommend going ahead and creating that. And then through that nonprofit organization uh, that directly supports your school, then you can apply for the grant. Oh, okay. Well, that's really good information because, uh, you know, I'm sure any church or Christian nonprofit would love to be able to, uh, to tap into something like that. Oh, yeah. Our especially ministry would. Operation Transformation would love to be able to tap into something like that. Oh, especially that and even uh, Baptist associations. At Greater Orlando Baptist Association, we have the grant. Renovate has the grant. Um, 
a lot of our churches here in Orlando, the Florida Baptist Convention, North American Mission Board, they, they're using that grant too. Wow. Wow. Well, we're going to probably look at that. Um, during this time of COVID, during the time when it was impossible to meet face-to-face in churches, and of course that's opening up in North Carolina, I think probably Florida's opened up more than any state has recently. Yeah. Um, how, how do you use social media to do outreach. I mean, we had to really do some innovative things. And I told you at the very beginning of this thing, I'm not a techno person. And I, it was a learning curve for me. I mean, we're doing this podcast, we're doing some YouTube stuff. That's a real learning curve for me, but how, tell us how does social media outreach really work? What can we do and how does that work? Sure. And, and I need to clarify, too, I'm not a techno person either. Um, I, I do not like technology. I don't like computers. I don't like smartphones. I don't like any of that stuff. But I use them because I'm a missionary. So that's where we start, number one. Mm-hmm. God has called all of us to be missionaries. And as I, in, in, in my book, I called it Fishing on the Other Side because, you know, there's Peter and James and John. And, um, you know, after Jesus was resurrected, they're out in the boat fishing. Mm-hmm. And... Um, They've been fishing all night. They hadn't caught anything. And Jesus comes along and says, have you caught any fish? And they said, uh, no. And he said, well, cast your nets on the other side of the boat and you'll catch some. And, uh, you know, they, they probably thought that was crazy. What difference does one side of the boat matter? So, you know, they, you know, <clears throat> the humor him, they throw their nets on the other side of the boat and they bring in this massive catch of fish. Well, you know, that's the second time that Jesus had done that to them. You know, so um, here we are in the digital age. Now, I'm, I'm going to back up just a second because, Back in the early 2000s, I mean, back before there was social media, I was having coffee with a friend of mine, and uh, he's he's kind of a future thinking. He's always looking ahead, uh, and you know, and some would call him a futurist. Um, uh, his name is Alex McManus. His brother is Erwin McManus from uh, Mosaic, uh, Pastor Mosaic Church out in Los Angeles. And Alex said this to me. He said, "Mark, he said, 21st century humans will exist both in time and space and cyberspace." Um, now, cyberspace is what we used to call the Internet, you know, um, the, the, the digital world, the digital realm is what we're calling it now. But what he was saying is that for people living in the 21st century, their online existence will be just as real to them as their physical existence. Hmm. And he said the next thing he said to me just rattled me to my core. He said the church of the 21st century must reach them in both realms, uh, reaching them. And the, uh, the digital world is just as important as reaching them in the physical world. And, and I, and I want to just kind of, you know, now, now that we're here at uh, 2021, I think for some people, their digital world is more real than their physical world. Mm. Uh, I mean, just go out to, to eat sometime and sit there and watch some families. You know, you'll see a, a mom and a dad and two teenagers, and all four of them have their phones out. They're all four talking to somebody else, but they're ignoring the people that they're sitting with. You know, for them, the, the, the digital world is more real to them than the physical world. They're, they're more intimate with the people that are not in the room than they are with the people in the room. So we may have even passed that tipping point where it's even more important to reach people in the digital world than it is in the physical world. So in my book, I kind of tell a parable of a young lady that um, she gets off of work. She comes home. Um, she goes into the kitchen and turns on her Keurig 
gets her coffee going, goes into her bedroom, drops everything, uh, changes clothes, puts on her pajamas, um, comes back into the kitchen, grabs her coffee, sits down on the couch and uh, pulls out her iPad. And she pulls out her iPad and she's looking at her own social media post where earlier in the day, she just made this post that said, wow, it's been a really rough week. And she's looking at that to see if anybody has responded. And as she's looking at that and noticing that nobody has responded, nobody's commented, nobody's even asked, you know, nobody said, all all she wants to see is somebody say, I'm sorry to hear that. What happened? Because then she wants to be able to tell them about what happened to her that week. While she's looking at that and pondering that, there's a knock at her door. Mm -hmm. Now, she's sitting there in her pajamas. Somebody's at her door. She reaches over and picks up her phone and looks at it. There are no texts from anybody. Nobody's texted her to say they're coming over. No voicemails, no phone calls from any of her friends. So she doesn't know who's at the door, but one thing she knows for sure that is whoever is at the door is not a friend. Because in our culture, if I'm going to go to somebody's house, I'm going to text them or call them first. Um, even if I'm sitting out in the, in the driveway in the car, you know, hey, we just uh, were passing through the neighborhood. We're sitting out here in the car. Is it okay if we uh, come in for a visit? But for, if it's a friend of mine, I'm not just going to go knock on their door. So she's sitting there wondering why nobody cares about her and what's going on in her, in her life. She's beginning to feel desperate. She's open to any kind of advice or any kind of help that somebody would give her. On the other side of the door is a visitation team from a local church. And they uh, so desperately want to get in and talk to her and share the gospel with her. And if those, that team could con- connect with her that night, she probably would listen to the gospel and accept Jesus. Mm-hmm. The problem is they didn't look at her Facebook post, you know, they they chose the old-fashioned way of going door-to-door or, you know, uh, following up, maybe even following up with somebody who visited their church. She's just not going to go open her door. Um, and and they didn't think to look at her Facebook uh, page to see what's going on in her life right now. If they would have taken that step and engaged her on social media, she would have been glad to share with them what's going on in her life, where she needs help, and she would have been open to hearing the gospel with them. Now, that, that's a parable. I don't know if that's ever happened, but I'm just assuming it probably has. Uh, knowing, you know, I've got adult children that are um, millennials, and I've got um, a couple of kids that are Gen Z. You know, they wouldn't dare go to somebody's house without calling or texting, and they would much rather people engage them in social media than face-to-face. Yeah. So that's why it's important. A missionary understands the culture, we don't try to comment on it, good or bad. You know, is it is it right for that family of four to sit there and text other people while they're having dinner? No, it's not right. But do we go over there and tell them, interrupt their dinner and say, shame on you for doing that? <laughs> Why don't you talk to each other? You know, um, you know, we're missionaries. We're observing the culture. We're trying to figure out if we're going to reach that family. Let's find try to find out where they are on social media. And let's see if we can introduce them to Jesus that way, because you know, back in the day, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Southern Baptist, you're Southern Baptist, you know, we, uh, the, the church that I'm a part of now, when it was first started, was called First Baptist Church of Union Park. It was started in 1954. Now, do you remember the significance of that year, Steve, in Baptist history, 1954? Um, a million more in 54. A million more in 54, exactly. This church was planted as a result of a campaign 
called a million more in 54. And in a, a million more 54 campaign, churches were going out and enrolling their, their neighbors in Sunday school. Yeah. And in 1954, that worked really well because in 1954, most people in Florida didn't have air conditioning. Um, mm. And a lot of them didn't have television. And so in the, in the evening, they would sit out on their front porch and drink lemonade and listen to the radio through the screen door. And mm. if a neighbor were walking down the sidewalk across from your white picket fence and they see you on the front porch, the very fact that you're on the front porch means that it's okay to engage me in a conversation. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's okay. You know, if, I mean, you would have to be a pretty rude person to sit out on your front porch and not talk to even a perfect stranger who, who walked by. Well, we don't have that happening much. Now, may, maybe in some uh, rural places that is happening, but where people are hanging out now is on the Internet and social media. That is the front porch. Mm-hmm. And, Steve, they're talking about all kinds of things that people didn't talk about in 1954. Oh, yeah. You know, they're taking pictures of their dinner and putting it on, on, <laughs> uh, on Facebook. They're, they're uh, tracking the, the path that they ran there for their exercises that morning. You know, they're telling you everything about their life, their, uh, their rants, their hopes, their dreams the good things, the bad things, and it's all out there on social media. And they're just inviting us to come in and insert a message of hope uh, in Jesus Christ in that chaotic world that they're living in. So that's why I'm talking about fishing on the other side. If the old methods of evangelism aren't working for us, let's cast our nets into the digital world where people are living and see if we can catch some there. Now, I want to clarify, though, I have absolutely no problem whatsoever of people doing door-to-door evangelism. I know some gifted evangelists who love doing that and they'll knock on a thousand doors, you know, in a day and, yeah. and they'll get to talk to a handful of people. And sometimes almost every day they lead somebody to Christ. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not trying to discourage anybody from doing that at all. But I also know that there are a lot of people that hate doing that. Mm-hmm. A lot of Christians that do not and will not go door to door because they know that it's not culturally acceptable. Uh, but um, then they may even be introverted themselves, but you could be an introvert and, and, and be uh, in person and be an extrovert on the Internet. Yeah. So I think God has given us this great tool to reach people in our day who, who are more spiritually open than ever before, uh, whether it be the gospel or whether it be uh, Islam. They're, they're spiritually open, and they're going to go with whoever uh, cares the most and reaches them in the way that they want to be reached. Wow. Wow. Well, our time is almost gone. Um, it didn't take long to do that, did it? But very quickly, if you could, oh, tell us what you think the greatest challenge for churches moving forward in this digital age would really be. Yeah, I really think the, the greatest challenge is uh, following the golden rule. Um, uh, I, you know, in my book, I talk about the golden rule of evangelism. Uh, and I, this really came to me. I was talking to a a group of pastors in Jacksonville uh, uh, with the Jacksonville Baptist Association. I asked them, what is the golden rule of evangelism? And they all kind of perked up and kind of leaned forward. Like I was going to give them some new kind of golden rule. (laughs) The golden rule of evangelism is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So, so whether it is optimizing your church website or reaching out to people through social media, just put yourself in the shoes of the person you're trying to reach and say, if I were spiritually lost, how would I want somebody to share the good news of Jesus with me? Yeah. Because Jesus said the golden rule applies in every situation, including evangelism. And, and that's why sometimes people are uncomfortable doing evangelism, because they're, asked, they're being asked to do something that they don't want done to them. 
you know, mm-hmm. if you don't, if, if you don't want somebody to, um, to step in front of you while you're carrying your groceries to your car at the grocery store and wave a 97 pound King James reference Bible in your face mm-hmm. and scream, repent and point at you, then yeah. don't do that to somebody else yeah. because that's in violation of the golden rule. Yeah. That is anti-biblical. Right. So evangelize others the way you would prefer to be evangelized if you were lost. And I think that's our greatest challenge. Hey, that's good advice. Good advice. Well, if you would, uh, Mark, tell us how folks can get a hold of your book and uh, and how they can learn more about the ministry that you have uh, there at Renovate. Oh, sure. Uh, you can go to the website, beingchurch.digital. Uh, that's that's the website, B-E-I-N-G-C-H-U-R-C-H dot digital. You can read more about my book. And uh, then there's a link there where you can purchase it on Amazon. You can also buy it just about anywhere, um, any online source where books are sold, uh, Walmart, uh, Barnes & Noble, um, just about any place that sells books online. You can You can search for my name or just search for Fishing on the Other Side, and it should come up. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, our time is gone now. Mark, thank you so much for sharing with us today uh, uh, about this very important uh, aspect of ministry, uh, especially in the days we're living. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, uh, as I said earlier, I think it has forced us to the COVID situation has forced us to do things maybe that we have not been doing. And that's not a bad thing because uh, it has helped us to, to to step out of our comfort zone, I think, and become more uh, involved in the digital presentation of the gospel and changing our world. So thank you for uh, being here with us today. And for those that are listening, if you heard something today that uh, helps you to lead your church, uh, let us know. Tell your friends about it. Um, Tell the leaders of your church about the podcast. And uh, be sure to like our podcast, subscribe so that you'll know each time uh, we post a new one up. Uh, This is Dr. Steve Sells saying thanks for listening, and thank you again, Mark, for being with us. And my prayer is that something that we discussed here today might help you help your church present the gospel of Jesus Christ in a greater way. God bless you, and thank you. Thanks for joining us for Revitalize and Restart. Make sure to visit our website, www.operation-transformation.org and subscribe to our show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Don't forget to join us next time. And again, thanks for listening.